The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Big 10 week is here. Uh, We'll be doing the Big 10 East today. Big 10 West will follow uh, as we break down the conference. Um, You know, what do we want to know here in the spring practice, what are our burning questions? What are the discussion topics that are going to be going around uh, for all of these Big Ten programs here in the spring? The Big Ten, you know, kind of kind of taking it on the chin in the college basketball side as we sit here after the uh, first and second round. Tom Fernelli as a Big Ten ambassador to the Cover 3 podcast, something that our listeners really appreciate uh, here swimming with all these ACC boys do you want to? And the ACC can't really talk. I mean, we got the Knowles, we got the Knowles, and we got uh, Jim Beheim as a double-digit seed. You know, always being able to get it into the Sweet Sixteen. But Tom, uh, obviously, you know, sadness for the Illini, but Big Ten as a whole. As we begin the Big Ten spring gleaning, you know, we're it feels like we're just fast-forwarding it on to football season, huh? Listen, all this talk about the Big Ten. Like, who are the who? What were the two best conferences in college basketball this year? Big Ten, Big Twelve, Big Twelve. How many? How many Big Twelve teams are left? Oh, so you're deflecting. You're trying to say they're in I'm it with us. Everybody's pilot. Everybody's talking about how the Big Tens had a horrible weekend, and it did. But so did the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve's got one team left itself. And meanwhile, Chip, speaking of deflecting, uh, Mr. Triangle over here. Duke didn't even make the tournament. NC State's in the NIT, and North Carolina got bounced in the first round by a Big Ten team. So, what's your excuse? Like the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle. Damn. Oh, well, listen, uh, you know, not only did North Carolina not want to be there, but it's obvious because now everybody's going to transfer. You know, that's, that's how we can just tell. We can point to the internal strife. Uh, the unhappiness of too many, too many seven footers, you know, can't find any play in time, antiquated offense. You know, it's the, the, the controversy is too, too nice around North Carolina to even extend it to ACC. That's all. So this has always been, this has always been a pac 12 podcast. <laughs> so it has a great week. We are, we are noted for our, uh, 
our love of Oregon and the Pac-12. Uh, Pac-12, of course, will be uh, coming up a little bit later on as we continue through our spring gleaning. All right, let's let's go ahead and dive in. Um, Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes, five and zero in conference play. They go seven and one overall, falling in the national championship game to Alabama. The big easy topic is replacing Justin Fields. And while I do think that getting into, you know, that quarterback battle and, you know, the aspect of whether it's going to be, uh, you know, CJ Stroud, as we've assumed when we've had these discussions, Jack Miller started as the number two, but, you know, CJ Stroud kind of took it over. And as Bud Elliott has mentioned on here, there's, there's just a lot of positivity behind the player who is the number three quarterback in the class behind DJ Uyunglele and Bryce Young. I kind of want to focus on, you know, who's coming back and what this uh, depth chart seems to look like. Because while the quarterback battle will take a lot of the conversation, because Justin Fields was awesome, and we haven't had a quarterback battle since Dwayne Haskins beat out Joe Burrow. That's right, Dwayne Haskins beat out Joe Burrow. Um, then we look elsewhere, and what, Chris Olave's back, and he and Garrett Wilson are going to make the best one-two wide receiver combo in the entire country, and oh yeah, Jackson Smith-Jigba, Julian Fleming, this Ohio State wide receiver room is absolutely ridiculous, best in the country. Uh, you look at the opposite defensive line, like yeah, uh, Zach, aka Zach Harrison, we're thinking like maybe this will be a big explosion year for him, but uh, we've got Haskell Garrett, an all-American interior defensive lineman, opts to come back for another season, so my what the easy question for Ohio State is around the quarterback, but I think that the question that is uh, in my mind the most is this national championship or bust for the Buckeyes because it's almost like they need a Mac Jones, man. They just need somebody who can distribute out there and just be able to get the ball in the right place against the right reads. Defensively, I we might I, I'd be curious to hear if you all have any concerns specifically there, but again, I go around the Big Ten and I'm like, who... Who, who is challenging this group uh, defensively. So I, I don't know. The, the Buckeyes seem to me to be as fascinating for what they have back, the returning players from a team that finished as the national runner-up as much as the quarterback position. I, I, the quarterback spot, we, yeah, okay. If you, don't, if you want to talk about concerns, I have the same concern about Ohio State going into 2021 that I had going into 2020. And that concern played out over the course of the season for the Buckeyes. And it was very much evident again in the national title game, the secondary, what is going to happen in the secondary? Who's going to be taking the starting corner spots? I assume seven banks is going to have one of those starting spots, but I don't think any of them are locked down and sure things going. And I think the same thing could be said at the safety position. So for me this spring, yeah, obviously quarterback is the big story. But the secondary, I think, is going to be the most interesting battle, and that's the one area where we're going to need to see some improvement because that truly was the team's ultimate weakness last year. It was not a weakness that kept them from winning the Big Ten or kept them from getting to the playoff, and I don't think it'll be that kind of weakness again this year. I think that this is still your favorite in the Big Ten. I think that there's still so much talent on this roster that you're fooling yourself if you think any other team's going to win the conference before them. And I think that the playoff is kind of, you know, that's the goal. It's If they don't get to the playoff it's a down year but I also think that the national championship is a legitimate goal for this team and the secondary is going to be what keeps them from winning a national championship or helps them finish the job and win a national title so for me this spring I'm looking at the secondary I'm seeing what if any improvements are made 
Yeah, I think clearly the quarterback position is going to dominate uh, most of the discussion all offseason. But I'm totally with you. I feel like the quarterback – now, it is concerning that – and you mentioned the other quarterbacks in the class, the DJ Uyunglele and Bryce Young names. Like, those guys feel really, really solid. There's a little bit – we saw DJ play a lot. You saw Bryce Young push Mac Jones in a fall competition. And when he came in there, he's looked fine. Like, so you feel like your starter is there. We haven't seen, you know, anybody at Ohio State with experience play. Now, maybe it's plug and play and you put him in there with all those, you know, the talent that he's got around him and it's fine. Probably the case. Every year is a national championship for Ohio State. So I'm on board with that one. It clearly is. There's no team that looks ready to challenge them. Maybe there'll be somebody that'll merge that we don't see coming or, you know, has an outstanding year. But I'm, I'm with Tom. And I, I think it was probably one of the under-talked-about stories this season was – you know, we talked a lot about teams missing time and missing spring practice. They were breaking in a new defensive coordinator who didn't have a lot of time to work with his players in the spring or even in the fall when it's just – it was a mess. And this conference probably mishandled this the most because of the start, stop, start aspect of the season. So my question is, where is the – where is the uh, Jeff Okuda? Where is the Chase Young? Where is the – um, Damon Arnett, where's the players or you know, player or players, hopefully if you're an Ohio State fan, that are that impactful, that are first round talent on the defensive side of the ball that are difference makers, because that was a glaring difference in the game versus Alabama. You know, and if that's what they want to do is not only win the Big Ten, it's got to be going through again the playoffs. And so to me, it's the emergence of those types of players on the defensive side of the ball that they just didn't seem to have this past season. I'm I'm very confident in this team. Again, I I would stop short of saying it, it's national championship or bust. I, I do think it's playoff or bust. When when, when you out recruit your conference competition by by the margins uh, that Ohio State does, I think you should expect to make the playoff. We've pretty much seen that if you're a one loss Big Ten champ, the, your chance of getting into the playoff is is quite good. So, can they stumble once? Yeah, and still have a special season. Can they stumble twice? Probably not. You know, the, the early game against Oregon is going to be really important here. I, I would say, like the the year in which we had DJ and Bryce as recruits was the best quarterback recruiting year since the Trevor Justin you know year. And in that Trevor Justin year, we also had the dude who's now starting at Georgia who reclassified up. I sort of see CJ Stroud like that, right? He was our number three quarterback in that class. If he had played in any other year there's a very good chance he, he would have been the number one overall quarterback in that year. He just happened to have two guys who we had, you know, rated as, as hundreds, which, you know, so um, like, like if you look at his actual grade, it's extremely high in, in, in any other year. Um, so I'm pretty confident in him. I'm also confident in, in the pass protection, Ohio state returns, both their offensive tackles. They have, is there anybody like, am I missing somebody? Like they have the best receiving core in the country, right? That's what I, I now, now that Devonte has gone. Top three at the like minimum. Yeah. I mean, Jamison Williams is a good player and he's going to be have, have to scratch and claw for snaps because you have Jackson Smith and Jigba and you also have Julian Fleming, right? Who athletically is just off the charts and, and probably will take a step th- th- this year. I mean, they, they, they return their tight end. I, my only really question I have written down for them other than QB, which, hey, we haven't seen him. So it's a question. Interior offensive line, but they have bodies and they recruit the position really well. So I, I think they'll they'll have the right guys emerge there. You know, defensively, you guys covered it. Corner, 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 man. I mean, seven banks. 
Ohio State's got a lot of guys on their roster who, who had four and five stars next to their name at corner. The odds say somebody will emerge, but I don't know who's the favorite to emerge opposite of seven. Like, we really haven't seen anybody who there's a no doubt obvious guy that's going to be the dude opposite of him. Um, I think the whole back seven last year was was kind of, you know, suspect at times, to be honest. Uh, and I, I think they're going to be better this year. Well, but here's like they have in their 2021 class, like 17 of their 21 commits are ranked in the top 200 nationally. But they've got Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock at corner, both of whom were top 100. Johnson's a top 50 prospect. Do you see a scenario in which either one of them look ready to be able to step into a starting role this year? Did those guys early enroll? That's, that's the only, only question I have about that. I need to look, look that up real fast. And I don't think anybody's early enrolled. Oh, they n- nobody early enrolled. Okay. Yeah. Um, I would say that hurts their chances some. We, we, we do see these guys who get in for spring, you know, really have a leg up, I think. But they have the talent to do it. So, uh, especially Johnson. I mean, athletically, he's off the charts. So, I, that's why I'm so confident in this team. Like, like if you stack talent like this, I mean, this is like Danny could tell you, he was on those Bowden teams. I and mean, Steve Spurrier would remark, I don't know how they got the top three corners in the country all to sign, you know, with, with, with the same team. It, it's sort of that same deal relative to the talent that the rest of the Big Ten is bringing in. The Penn State Nittany Lions went four and five in last season. And the the thing that is uh, probably one of the biggest headlines was after Kirk Sharaka, one of the hottest commodities in the off- offensive coordinator market, so to say, uh, after, you know, Tanner, Tanner Morgan, Rashad Bateman, Tyler Johnson. He had he had Minnesota's offense cooking. So Penn State makes the poach from the Big Ten West, brings in Kirk Sharaka. Now Kirk Sharaka uh, does not have the spring practice, does not have the kind of off season, doesn't have the full fall camp. Installing something on Zoom is just we've we've heard from too many coaches and too many players. It it just was a uh, a little bit of a learning curve that was difficult to overcome. And Danny, like you mentioned. This can be something that we will, we could repeat for every single team, but with the we're playing, we're not playing, we're playing, you know, how does the team handle it? I mean, there's just, it made things really difficult. And look, the offense didn't didn't play, uh, didn't look particularly great, but I mean, you lose Journey Brown, who has to retire because of a medical injury. Noah Kane goes down in the very first game of the season. Pat Fryermuth, your star tight end, uh, four games in after the Ohio State game, he ends up shutting it down for a season ending injury. And so, you know, the things weren't working out well. So is James Franklin shrewd? Is he the like shrewd and savvy for just pulling the plug on Kirk Shiraka after one season and going and getting Mike Yersich from Texas? Uh, Tom Herman brought him in after he did one year with Justin or multiple years, maybe with Ohio State. It was after the first Justin Fields year. Herman hires Yersich away from the Buckeyes. He got his start under Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State several years back. Some of Mason Rudolph's success uh, attributed to Yersich. So I, I kind of feel like James Franklin is, in terms of his decision-making, in terms of his staff hires, like, is this full spring going to be an opportunity for Mike Yersich to be a real, like, uh, plus, you know, decision-making um, advantage for James Franklin. Is this offense going to be strong? Sean Clifford's in his third season with his third offensive coordinator. So uh, I think that the offensive side of the ball is a big piece of what I'm looking at specifically with Yersich and Sean Clifford, knowing that Will Leave is it? It's Levis, right? 
Yeah. I think I dropped Levis on an earlier podcast. Will Levis is off to Kentucky. Um, defensively, you know, we, we didn't even get to see, you know, Micah Parsons, but the, the, there are sort of some, some built in questions, but no real lack of talent or no real lack of option. For me, it's going to be a lot of learning new names, you know, refiling my, uh, talking points and understanding who the key players and key contributors are. But if I'm a Penn state fan, you know, especially looking at some of the exodus of skill position talent and looking at the change at offensive coordinator. It, it's not a gamble for James Franklin, but I think it was a decision that could be met either with praise or criticism once we see how things go in 2021. You know, I, I don't think that, um, I don't think the decision is really a reflection on Kirk Shiraka's ability as a coach. I think he's probably a pretty damn good coach, but in, in, in listening to our, our, our Lions 24-7 podcast with, with you know, Sean Fitz and Todd Donahue, like they really emphasized just in what they were hearing internally, just how much not having any spring was a major struggle for that offense last year. And indeed, it like some of those early games are scoring in, in the teens, you know, in, in the low 20s. They, they got it going towards the end of the year when the schedule lightened up a bit. Uh, but, you know, Kirk Sharaka was a guy that wanted to pound the football and run the RPO quite a bit. And you lose Noah Kane. And you lose Devin Ford almost immediately. You also had a new offensive line coach last year in Phil Trotwine. I, I just think, look, sometimes you can make you can make a change, and the, the guy you let go is not necessarily a bad coach. He's just a bad fit for that time. And I think that's probably what this what this was. I I, I think Penn State is a, a pretty strong bounce back candidate. Um, I also think they're a team that kind of well, use the quit word, but. Uh, Tell, tell me that Maryland game wasn't basically them kind of checked out on the season and they had to decide to reset after they lost that one. You know, I'm 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 kind of in on this team a little bit. I I agree with you. I don't think Kirk Shiraka being replaced by Mike Yersich is a sign that, you know, Shiraka's offense wasn't working. I just think that But I think it's a gamble for Franklin. If you let a good coach go without giving him a full yeah. offseason to put in his system and to try and coach up the team and it doesn't you know, improve with Yursich, then you might have missed out on an opportunity to finally see all those reasons mm-hmm. that you brought Sharaka in. It feels like for me, it's I'm not reflecting it on Sharaka. I'm more looking at James Franklin as a head coach and as a decision maker in with his staff hires as being like, all right, man, you you're you're just all already ditching uh, last season's clothes. Like you you know you're already trying to move on really really quickly when you might have had a, a really good head coach already in place who was trying to get things moving in the right direction. And Franklin yeah. has a rep as a loyal guy, so I I don't know. Like just me personally, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume there are things going on here that I don't know or fit. Well, that, that's, right? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Well, that's what I wanted to chime in too because I think we often overlook that aspect of it. It, there are personalities in coaching rooms, right? And there are big personalities in coaching rooms. I don't know. I know James Franklin, you know, pretty well. Haven't covered him in person. Covered some of his games going back to when he was a head coach and waiting at Maryland when he was angling for a job before he got Vanderbilt. He's a strong personality. I don't know Kirk Soraka, but I mean, maybe it just wasn't a fit. You know, maybe they just didn't like each other, you know? And it's like, if you're going to have, because I was going to ask Bud when we were in there saying, Hey, why not give him a spring? You know, like, why not, why not let him try to develop this offense? But if you know, you know, and you know, it was, a, and especially in this year when it threw in a lot of, you know, um, additional time together, probably and time and zoom, and you're not getting those personal, um, you know, kind of off the field moments to bond maybe it's probably easier to make a change. I do think it comes with risk, 
but I think it's probably more, not only was it not a fit scheme wise, probably just one of fit personality wise, which is okay too. And you know, James Franklin has the right to make that move. And he did. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be an interesting spring for Penn State. I, I agree with a lot of what you guys have said and also, but I do think that this is a bounce back candidate because it is a talented team. It's just my concerns as far as the roster going forward, regardless of the OC is, you know, I've, I've, I'm probably a very hated man in the Clifford family. I am not a big fan of Sean Clifford. I don't have a lot of faith in him being a guy that can really take Penn State's offense to the next level. But at the same time, you know, last year they they lost a lot of guys to the running back position, but they some depth emerged there. And I think going into this season, the running back situation should be fine. It's just you've got Jahan Dotson at receiver, but who's the other guy? Like you look at that receiver core, that tight end core, you know, you lose Pat Firemouth to the NFL. I don't know besides dots and I didn't see anybody truly emerge as a go-to kind of threat. And we've talked about, like we just talked about with Ohio state, they've got the might be the top receiving core in the country. And we're seeing receiver become so big as far as the teams that are competing for conference titles and national titles. Look at Penn state's roster right now. I don't know that they have it. I don't know that they have it at quarterback on the defensive side of the ball. They didn't have Micah Parsons last year. So, okay, they don't really have to worry about replacing him because they've already played with him. But you're losing Jason Oway. You're losing Shaka Tony. You're losing a lot of guys that were important in that front seven. So we need to see some replacements step up there. So I think that Penn State overall has recruited well enough to have guys there, although last year's class kind of slipped a little bit, and I don't know if that's going to have an impact on them in 2021 and their ability to put in depth and to replace guys. So I think this is a bounce-back team just because I don't think it was nearly as bad as the results suggested last year. And like you said, Bud, they did improve as the year went on and the schedule lightened up on them a little bit. But I don't know if I'm going into 2021 thinking that Penn State's a legit contender in the East. I think that this is a team that could still finish 8-4 and four in the regular season. Maybe, maybe that makes it the second-best team in the East. Who knows? But I don't see Penn State in 2021 as a Big Ten East contender or a Big Ten title contender. Which is sort of what they've grown accustomed to, right? I mean, they had three 11-win seasons with James Franklin in the last five years. And the 9-4 and mixed in the middle. And then last year, which I kind of just write off, as we've talked about. So if they're 8-4, and that's a restless fan base, which I would understand. I think they might be better than that, though. I'm kind of on the bounce-back plan as well, looking at last year. And I do think – I I can't believe this is going to come out of my mouth, but I think it's – Last year is excusable to say that somebody quit and it was okay. I get it. Like you were out there, you lose, uh, you know, so much off the bat. You have this losing streak. I'm okay with that. Like I, I, I understand it. I hate it, but I kind of, Oh yeah. Where- Go tell 2017 Danny Cannell what you just said. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> hey, that was before COVID. I didn't know that their, their season was going to be run amok. Yeah. Um, it's, I, I mean, do have it, some names. Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, I, I, defensively, I, the one spot I thought they were not that great last year was, was at linebacker, which was disappointing because they recruited the position really well. But you had some guys start to emerge late. I, I really think you know, Brandon Smith and Jacobs are, are guys who – like there's a reason Lance Dixon transferred out, right? And Lance Dixon athletically pretty freaky. He's at West Virginia now. I, I think they'll be much better at linebacker this year. I think they're absolutely loaded at corner. So, like, if there's one team out there that can maybe cover Ohio State in the Big Ten, it's probably Penn State. We'll have to see if they move some of those corners to safety because I know they have some question marks, you know, at safety. Receiver-wise, I I think you bring up a really good point, though. 
they've signed some some highly rated receivers who have subsequently not worked out and transferred out, right? Justin Shorter, who is now at Florida, and basically all they do is throw him screen passes because the guy hasn't hasn't figured out how to catch really, like even though he looks like Terrell Owens. Um, you know, John Dunmore hasn't really worked out, right? But believe, believe he's he's in the portal. So uh, yeah, there is a little bit of sort of they've signed some guys there at receiver, but they haven't really turned them into you know, productive receivers element going on. And Tom, I think we all stand with you in doubting Sean Clifford. Like if the Clifford family wants to come after you, they got to come after all of us, man. Cause they ain't, ain't nobody on the Sean Clifford bandwagon here. I don't think. Hey, I'm, I'm all about the home road splits. That's what I'm looking for for Clifford. He gets, he can get it going in happy Valley, but you take him out of that comfort zone and he's a turnover machine in the red zone. Didn't the big 10 have no fans? Yeah, <laughs> like so. Does Sean Clifford hate bus rides or something, like, yeah. or or, uh, or airplanes? Like, what what it's what's the, the deal? Because it's not a fan. It's not a crowd noise. Thing. Oh, it's Conference. the turf. It's the turf, baby. The turf. Okay. What if what if Sean Clifford just really hates his road roommate? Ooh. Right. Well, Will Levis is gone, so now there's no more excuse. Um, Maybe I don't. That's why Will Levis is gone. Yes. <laughs> We are cracking the code around Penn State. The quarterbacks hated each other. The coaches didn't like each other. And all of this substantiated rumor mongering starts on the Cover 3 podcast. That's what you come here for. Aggregate it. Aggregate it. Let's go. I mean, the data set is so weird for the Big Ten. Ohio State played five conference games. Maryland played five conference games. Penn State played nine. Like to to go and try and compare these win loss records is is absolutely stupid. So I am when we started to like pull up the Wikipedia's for these coaches, I am a hundred percent willing to to sort of scratch, especially in the Big Ten, uh, scratch some of this because of the imbalance. One coach who uh, the scratching the record is uh, certainly something that you know, it, it would, it would definitely improve his overall, overall profile. It's, it's Jim Harbaugh because Michigan went two and four last season. Uh, Don Brown's out. That was, that's been something that we kind of hung our hat on, man, in terms of expectations, in terms of what Michigan is, but it went from just giving up yards and points to Ohio state to giving up yards and points to everybody. You could explain it away when these Michigan defenses that ranked near the top of the country, all of a sudden, you know, Ohio State goes and hangs 40, 50, 60 points on them. You're like, well, that's just an Ohio State thing. And then last year, the you know, bottom falls out. So Jim Harbaugh, new contract, uh, Don Brown out. Uh, so defensively, just a, a lot of questions. Who you are? What are you going to be? Like, what's, what is going to be the, the pieces that make this next era of the Michigan Wolverines defense? You know, we talk about the, the, the quarterback position gets really intriguing because J.J. McCarthy, the highest-rated quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has signed to Michigan, is on campus, and he will be participating in spring practice. Now, I, if I'm just sort of placing bets, I think that Cade McNamara, who wrestled the starting job away from Joe Milton near the end of the season, uh, I, I think that I would maybe give him odds there as the, uh, as the starter when we suit up. But I, knowing Jim Harbaugh, who... You know, it's, he's going to keep this thing under wraps and he's not going to name a starter until the off- first-team offense takes the field for the season opener. But that Caden McNamara-J.J. McCarthy battle, I you like not to be basic, but it's fascinating. It is something to, to watch this spring and a- as much information as we could get, however many takeaways we can get from the coaches, the players, the reporters, that'll be something that I'm interested in, particularly because Jim Harbaugh says he, I will handle coaching the quarterbacks. 
So something to uh, when we oh, talk, I feel so bad for those quarterbacks. Like, oh my gosh! Like this is you know what kind of like micromanaging is going to be going on right now with Harbaugh and seeing that you know that that looming figure coming in there asking you every question. But maybe it'll make them more ready for the pressure of playing quarterback in Michigan. And if I was Harbaugh and the lack of success that you've had, you're supposed to be a former quarterback who's supposed to be able to groom quarterbacks. I would do what he's doing too. But I think this is, I mean, the pressure's already there clearly for Michigan this season and all the changes Harbaugh's made, getting younger, you know, bringing in Gaddis last year, making the change at defensive coordinator this year, you know, and the uh, the reworked contract and, you know, heavily incentive laden with a pay cut, like, all eyes are on him, so I probably would do that too. But, man, from everybody you've talked to that deals with him on a daily basis, whew. And if you were an, if you were an opponent of his, I would suggest – now, this is bad. This is going to sound bad. But I would be like, hey, are you sure you're going with the 20-hour rule? Like, Because you know he's going to be getting extra time with those quarterbacks. If I was Ohio State, Penn State, I'd be like, you guys may want to send somebody over there. Or you reach out to these quarterbacks and this whoever loses the competition, be like, hey, how much time are you guys getting in the room with Harbaugh? Because it's going to be about 40 hours with him. You, you know Michigan fans are, are going to like like – Doc standing out for that because they, they they think they do everything like extremely extremely clean even though Harbaugh had a sleepover at a recruit's house and was the guy who basically invented satellite camps um you know <laughs> dude like that yeah Danny can't can't suggest that uh, about Michigan I'm sure everything will be on the up and up they, they'd rather lose with class than uh than, than actually try to win games um no in, in all seriousness I I think there's a reason Joe Milton transferred out he, he sees McCarthy coming in. McCarthy's a guy who played at a very high level at IMG, which is like probably the highest level of football you can play, you know, in, in high school in this country. McNamara showed some stuff last year. This is this offense is a pretty good amount of returning talent. I mean, they're what top third in the country in, in returning production for mm-hmm. Conley's numbers. I I also think like if we're gonna talk about you know Soraka not having a spring and all these new coordinators not having a spring, we need to mention Gaddis really didn't have have a spring. So um I'm I think Michigan will be an improved team this year. I, I did our, you know, projecting the win totals uh, way too early for uh, uh, for twenty four seven sports. I, I gave eight and four, which I I think they can get to. This offense should be better. Yeah, I, I think McCarthy is going to play a huge role in what Michigan is in twenty twenty one, and it's I've had a hard time trying to cipher through the hype and stuff because I, Michigan fans are obviously very excited about him because he was a highly rated recruit and you know they've been dying for a QB but it's not all that different from the way that they felt when Shea Patterson committed from Ole Miss and we saw that that worked but it wasn't what they'd hoped it would be and I know McCarthy because he's from he's from suburban Chicago he went to a high school out here for the first three years of his career Nazareth Academy which is not far from where I grew up and where I played in high school although different conference because it's a private school but the competition and I don't want to dog my own <laughs> the own area of where i grew up is it eight in. man is it at least 11 man yeah oh yeah okay. i mean it's suburban chicago chip it's not like it's not like there's 200 kids in the town i mean will greer but, was out here lighting it up with uh, eight man football so you know i'm, I'm always yeah. a little bit cautious but like it's not even as far as like suburban chicago football i wouldn't call that our area of the suburbs to be the highest quality of football. So he did play well at IMG. Cause I want to know what you think, bud of him comparing him to other prospects and other highly rated five-star QBs. Cause I do think that's a huge area, but I also think that what's going to be interesting to me besides that this spring is what that defense is going to look like. Cause they brought in Mike McDonald from Baltimore. 
who obviously probably came with a recommendation from John Harbaugh. I mean, it's not hard to do the connections there, but he's never been a defensive coordinator. So I don't really know what he's going to run. But if you look at some of the defenses he's coached with and you look at kind of what they did in recruiting, because they're they getting a little beefy at the defensive tackle area, I think we're probably going to see while everybody's hybrid and everybody's, you know, multiple multiple and aggressive and blah, blah, blah. I think we're probably going to see Michigan maybe transition to more of a three, four, at least begin that process. So for me, if I'm a Michigan fan in the spring, I'm really interested in seeing what the defense looks like, just so I know what we're getting into. It's odd front, like all, all the way. I mean, it, it, it almost has to be, I, I, I think it, it suits the personnel that, that they have right now. Um, Tom, you mentioned no coordinator experience. Nobody on their defense has ever called a defense. And all their coaches are under forty, so this is like a big time change uh, from from what they had with, with the, the the wisdom of of Don Brown. Um, I think one of the things you might see from Michigan is they were one of these crazy covariance defenses, right? Like they were really good against bad offenses because like bad offenses just couldn't handle some of the pressure stuff they did, but they were sort of like gimmicky in some ways. In that when they played the really good offenses, the really good offenses were like. Oh, this ain't shit. We're, we're, we we got we got this all day, right? And they really didn't have an answer. Like Ohio State tore them up repeatedly because some of the stuff Michigan was trying to do, like you, you can't run that against us. Like that's not going to work. And they didn't they didn't really didn't have effective counters to that. I look, I think losing Quiddy Pay and Cameron and Kemp is, is a fairly big deal. But Aiden Hutchinson is back. I know they're counting on him to be a big time impact guy. I think they have a lot of talent at like linebacker and safety that could be pretty damn good. And maybe you maybe you run some more. You know, I don't watch a ton of NFL. Like, how much how much how much kind of three safety defense stuff does Baltimore run? Because like a, like this Michigan team is a lot of dudes who are kind of like two fifteen range who I think could be impact guys against the spread. Um, that's that's sort of my take on that defense. Like last year, like I've, I feel like a big problem that the Michigan defense had last year, and they dealt with injuries. Like you mentioned, Aiden Hutchinson, he missed a lot of time. They just didn't get any pressure on anybody, and not even in the passing game. Like they weren't really getting into the backfield and causing tackles for loss in the run game. They were just not disruptive at all, and it was getting their secondary destroyed because those guys were having to cover for a long time. Mm. Hey, Cover 3 listeners, it's literally madness time in the sports world with the NCAA tournament in full swing, but you're a diehard sports fan, which means that you want to stay in the know with all the sports, not just the NCAA tournament, and that's where CBS Sports HQ is your streaming answer. Just think about what's on tap this week alone. We've got spring training in Major League Baseball. We've got the NBA trade deadline, UFC 260, NFC free, NFL free agency fallout, and draft coverage. we got golf picks coming up this weekend with some tournament play on the links, and the U.S. men's national team. We could go on, but you get it. Sports never sleeps, and neither does CBS Sports HQ. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and available on your computer, your phone via the CBS Sports app, and your connected TV. I I leave it on all day. I'm on it most days. And if you live and breathe sports, I'd encourage you to do so as well. So make sure that you're watching CBS Sports HQ on your computer, cbssportshq.com, on your phone through the CBS Sports app, and through the CBS Sports app through your connected TV. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to a head coach who 
like many others across the country, didn't really get much time to be able to get settled. Mel Tucker, Michigan State, then Maryland, Rutgers, and tying up Indiana next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So the the things that are interesting about Michigan State mostly for me come back to this idea of, uh, again, not getting a spring practice for the first year of Mel Tucker, which is exacerbated by the timing of Mel Tucker's hire, which came right around National Signing Day. So you you didn't even have the, the staff assembly time. You didn't even have the make the push for the February signing day time. And so like the moment that COVID hits, it feels like Mel Tucker's even still trying to, to put everything together. Uh, in terms of players and in terms of news and movement, I mean, like Anthony Russo, we've been talking about him like, oh, that guy's an NFL player, you know, big body, big arm. You, you always talk NFL player, NFL player. And, and I'm not sure. I mean, he might be. I'm awful at doing this whole like NFL scouting thing. I'm, I'm much better at being able to just tell you what I saw in college, not necessarily, uh, you know, comparing notes with the draft Knicks. I leave that to uh, Tom Fernelli uh, and the the other experts on the CBS Sports NFL draft side of things. But if Anthony Russo, Anthony Russo at his best at Temple was a really, really good quarterback. If he comes in, that's going to be something that's interesting for me to track with the Spartans. And as I look at what happened across a two and five season, you know, Sparty was, uh, it, it was not a bottom fall out necessarily type situation for Michigan State, but there was just no consistency whatsoever. Again, all things that I'm willing to say, you know, Mel Tucker hired late and it was COVID and it was the the weird disjointed season. I feel like I've just got a lot of excuses on my notepad right here for Michigan State. And uh, I don't I don't know if that's I don't know if that's fair. Maybe my expectations should be higher. So as I'm all in like be a sponge, soak up the information because I don't feel like I've got my hands around this Michigan State team at all. You're not alone. Uh, I, yeah, I there's nothing I think that we could really look at from that season last year and 
you can take things away from it, but I just don't think you should read too much into depth because of all the things you talked about. It's it's not just the fact that it was a COVID season that tossed everything on its head. It's the time when Mel Tucker was hired, when that coaching staff was brought in, how little time they had to work with those guys before the season started. I mean, it was, in a way, it felt like when I was watching Michigan State games, I was watching their spring practice in a lot of ways. It's just, it was, this was a team that didn't really have a great idea of what it was trying to do yet because it just hadn't had the time to figure things out. So the results, I don't read too much in just going into 2021, regardless of the situation. And this has been the case at Michigan state the last few years, the offensive line has been bad. Quarterback play has been worse. Those are two things that until they improve, it's hard to see this Michigan State team being the same kind of team that under in those glory D'Antonio years when they were reaching the playoff, when they were win- reaching Big Ten title games and they were winning the division. It's It's been a trend the last few years. It's not just last year with Mel Tucker and a COVID year and everybody coming in late. So I think if I'm Mel Tucker on offense, those are two things that I really have to worry about fixing. Because, you know, in the last few years, the Spartans have had some pretty decent talent at the receiver position. They just haven't had a quarterback capable of getting the ball to them on an even semi-consistent basis, let alone consistent. And I think defensively, there's still some – it's it's not what it used to be. I think that there's still talent there, and I think that they're still plenty capable of playing good defense, particularly in the Big Ten, although I don't see it being a high-end kind of really ultimate ceiling kind of defense. I think it could be a solid, won't hurt us, will keep us in games kind of unit if the offense can catch up. So for me this spring, if I'm a Spartans fan, I'm not coming into the year with the highest of expectations. I just want to see improvement knowing that Mel Tucker, now that he's had a full year really to get ready for his first spring practice, we could see some of the things that Mel Tucker we saw at Colorado because we saw some positive signs during Tucker's first year with the Buffs for giving us reason to think maybe going forward that team could be heading in the right direction under Tucker before he left. So I'm hoping that I see some of that with Michigan State this year. But again, I don't know what the quarterback situation is. Peyton Thorne, I know, played a little bit last year, but he wasn't great. But again, he was a freshman. I know that they have a three-star kid in their 2021 class in Hampton Fay who is enrolled and who is there this spring. Maybe he's going to get some reps and able to take over the job. Because again, I don't see a entrenched starter there. So even a three-star freshman, I think, has a legitimate shot to win that job if he plays well enough. I dug a lot on Michigan State this morning, and I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in on this team as far as what they're doing for the long term. You know, short term, I don't know. Uh, I know to start the year, I thought Mel Tucker was going to be a disaster given the lack of time that he had with his team and the way they played in their first couple games. Like they just kept trying to quote unquote establish the run against Rutgers and really lost that game in part because of how Tuck, like like how Tucker's offense called the game. It just they just set themselves up for third and eight over and over again because they couldn't run the ball. Now, like for the first couple of weeks, they were really, really bad as, as far as the, like what they were calling on offense. Then they opened it up a little bit, and they actually finished like, what, 111th in standard down run rate, so, which is a major improvement over where they were, you know, prior. Um, I like the receivers on this team a whole lot. Russo is kind of a confusing read to me because if you look at some of his individual stats – they're not that bad, right? I mean, he's last year he was what sixty-eight percent completions, mm-hmm. but then he's nine to six touchdown to pick. 
and 82% catchable, which is fine. But like their their passing offense was outside the top 100 if you, if you adjust for opponents. So I don't really know what they're getting in Russo. I can see some good. I can see some bad. I think their receivers are like really pretty damn good. They're just their run game was so bad, and they tried to use it so much, at least in the first kind of half of the year. I mean, guys, here's their numbers. Remember, there's only 127 teams playing, right? Because we had three didn't play. Success rate rushing, 125th. Marginal efficiency, 125th. Marginal explosiveness, 125th. Opportunity rate, 124th. We're getting better, right? (laughs) Power success rate, 112th. Stuff rate allowed, 124th. They couldn't run the ball to save their life, but they, you know, they they tried to do it a lot. I think it'll be Russo because I can't see a defensive-minded head coach turning it over to a, a true freshman. That's just not how defensive coordinators are wired, I think. But, man, my questions about this team – so they were 109th on offense last year and 12th in defense. Like, that defense was sneaky pretty good, and the offense put it in some horrendous situations. I mean, just consistently turning the ball over in their own end and, you know, like, never getting first downs, things which hurt our defense. They lost a ton. Like I was looking at their transfer list, and they brought in a lot of dudes who Mel Tucker would have scouted when he was at Georgia or when he was at Colorado, guys who were athletic – that's like a boatload of transfers to bring in. To me, it says they got a lot of holes to fill in this mm-hmm. defense. Sorry hey, for running longer. Then going back to Russo, like I forgot to mention him as part of it. You know who he honestly reminds me of from watching him at Temple? And I don't know how Michigan State fans a lot of to feel about this because I remember when I when that transfer was announced, it just made me laugh. He kind of reminds me of Brian Lewerke, except he doesn't have as strong as an arm but he thinks he has a stronger arm. You know what I mean? Like Anthony Russo takes shots downfield in that Temple offense last year. And I was just like, like Chad Kelly style. Yeah. And it's like, buddy, you don't, that is not there. That is not your game. And I just feel like that's, that's who Anthony Russo is. It's like your buddy with like who tries to, tries to carry at 250 over water. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm just bummed. We're not going to see Fornelli's favorite quarterback, Rocky Lombardi anymore. Yes. Remember it's Fornelli's tweets about him. That was, uh, it was incredible. I am, I'm worried about this program and it's not, has nothing to do with Mel Tucker. It's almost like, you know, if you're a Michigan state fan, I think you might have a whole new appreciation for what Mark D'Antonio accomplished while he was there. Um, Of all the teams you look at, because clearly everybody's chasing Ohio state right in the big 10 of all the teams we've talked about so far, like Penn State, maybe there's an opportunity to close that gap. Michigan, maybe there's an opportunity to close that gap. Michigan State, who had closed that gap. I mean, they, you know, and had beaten them. They had had a lot of success against Michigan. I don't, I'm worried about it. Now, Mel Tucker, I think wisely is going through the transfer portal. He's got seven coming in, including Russo, maybe even adding more. Um, so I think that's a smart move to try to change. You mentioned all the defensive starters they lost off a defense that was pretty good, but I think this is a really tough job. Like, I I think this is a tough place to win. And I think it takes a unique individual, like a unique recruiting tactic to take that chip on the shoulder and nobody played it up better than D'Antonio. You got to have a unique individual. You get in there that can kind of build that us against the world. I mean, have you guys been to East Lansing? It's not the best place out there. It's not the prettiest. The weather's not that great. It's it's a little tough. And I, I worry about them from a bigger picture. Like, if you look at the records before, yes, they were sprinkled in there, uh, you know, a couple 10-win seasons here and there. But the majority of the time, 
it was seven, six, seven wins, eight wins. To me, that feels like the direction Michigan State is going in. The Michigan State campus is lovely. Is it? Yeah. Most college campuses are. Remember that one time when a colleague was starting to like really brag about their alma mater and like how lovely the campus was? And we were like, well, how many campuses have you been to? <laughs> a lot of college campuses are built up because they're trying to get you to come there. They want your tuition money. They like have invested in making it look pretty. It's I'll just a- say, to be fair, I've never been to East Lansing in the summer. Maybe East it's Lansing beautiful. in the fall when the trees are changing color. I have been in the pretty fall. Pretty nice. Okay. East Lansing. Do you think what D'Antonio did would work in, the, in, in today's Big Ten nearly as well? Like, I don't know if this defense pounded out, try to win games in, in the you know, mid to high 20s. Like now that we've seen college football become so much more explosive, like th- that's what makes it harder too. Is like you could you could be just as good as D'Antonio's teams were, and not yep. sniff the East title. No, doing like, what Ohio State's doing, but what, you could win the West. Are evolving too. You could win the you West. You win the West. Yeah. Do you remember? I I think of what Michigan State did defensively into the in like the D'Antonio Narduzzi era, and I think of what Alabama did to Ohio State with the RPOs just against cover three all damn day long, getting anything they wanted. Mm, good point. Yeah, the Indiana Hoosiers went six and one, and the Big Ten rewrote their rules so that Ohio State, which didn't have the six games, could go and play in the Big Ten title game. Oh, the Indiana fan! Ah, I feel for Can you. Can I right chime now. in here though and yeah. make the yes. case for the Indiana fan? Go. Yes, probably feels like you talk about the Big Ten reworking their rules to make sure Ohio State was the champ. What about the Cover 3 podcast? Chip Patterson running the show. Every other spring gleaning we've done, we've gone from first in the division, second in the division, third in the division, and we just ran right past <laughs> in the end. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, hey, I'm a newer guy on here. Maybe we're trying to play the hits. We got a lot of Michigan fans. You know, we know they have a faithful f- football following, Penn State. So I'm like just keeping my mouth shut. I can't keep it in anymore. My guy, Tom Allen, is building <laughs> yes. what may be the best mountain charge to take down Ohio State and we just throw them at the bottom and throw away oh yeah by the way Indiana yeah what about them total fair. disrespect from fair fair <laughs> that is a hundred percent fair that is disrespectful to Tom Allen that is disrespectful to Tim Allen that is disrespectful <laughs> to Bo Allen uh shout out to uh, Gary Parrish and the Marcus Ion College Allen. Bas- Marcus Allen and the Ion College <laughs> Basketball Podcast listen to it for all your March Madness needs uh yeah no nah, that's I I rearranged it based on <laughs> clicks page views and uh and, and what I I understand as general interest and my apologies to the Indiana fans that feel disrespected, especially when you've got 17 starters back, and especially when you know you're you you seem to be loading up to uh, to maintain that high level of play. So this spring, Michael Penix is still out, right? He tears his ACL in November. Jack Tuttle is the capable backup. Like I I think that Jack Tuttle is played well. A, a played well. I think that he's a quarterback that shows up at some other campuses, other Power Five campuses, and might be starting, but Michael Penix is ceiling just a, a little bit higher. So Jack Tuttle will get a lot of work with the starters. And I think that's significant. I don't like to label people as injury risks 
But Michael Penix has three season ending injuries. You know, Jack Tuttle might need to be able to step up if Indiana's gonna be able to match last season's success. Defensively, man, they were uh like they they lose Jamar Johnson, but they were awesome last year. And I, I expect them to continue to be really good. It seems to just fit within the identity of Tom Allen's program. So for uh this Indiana Hoosiers team. The expectation should be much of the same, though this spring, you know, we are looking at uh, the Hoosiers as a group that, you know, won't have that that star quarterback, Michael Penix, but still the the offense should get a, a lot of good work in with Tuttle leading the way. Yeah, and I, I don't think, you know, and this is weird because this isn't a knock on, on Penix, but I, I wonder if your offense has a safer floor with Tuttle whereas the ceiling's probably higher with Penix just because I think Penix could make plays that Tuttle can't. It's just I also think that Tuttle won't make throws that Penix will try to make. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing not having Penix around. I think it could be good for Tuttle. I think it could be good for all the quarterbacks on that depth chart as far as the future of the program is concerned. And I think that you lose Wap Fillior, but you get DJ Matthews, a transfer from Florida State who did not play last year, but was their sec- team's second leading receiver in 2019. He was a highly rated four-star prospect coming out of high school. I think if you could tap into that talent, that is a very nice thing to add to the Indiana offense. And I'm with you, Chip. I think defensively, you lose Kane Womack, your defensive coordinator's left to become the head coach of South Carolina. But I think that this is just more of a cultural kind of identity thing with the defense more than just a coach and a scheme. And I think that Indiana's defense is still going to be solid in 2021. So you, you look at this team going into the spring, coming off what could be you know one of the best years that we've had in Indiana football history, going into 2021, they got a tough start to the schedule where they go at Iowa to start and then they get a game against Idaho before they face Cincinnati. So it's difficult. But when I look at the East, because I was mentioning earlier, I, I'm not, I don't think Penn state is a great team. I think Michigan could be very good, but it could also be a very similar team to what we've seen in recent years. And that could be an eight and four team. I still think there is plenty of room for Indiana to work, to get some wins that maybe some people still don't expect it to get and maybe finagle its way into that second place or third place spot in the division. This is, this is a good team. I don't think 2020's results were like a, a fluky kind of COVID year. Obviously Penn state and Michigan having down seasons helped contribute to what Indiana was able to do. It's just, if you look at what it did, there's nothing in there that says, okay, they got extremely lucky and they're probably going to come crashing back to earth. I think this is just a program that's getting better. Maybe it's not going to win eight or nine games, but I think it's going to be a solid big 10 program. I agree. I think I've gotten to cover them a couple times, uh, both like openers to the season the last couple of years before COVID and really enjoyed Tom Allen felt like he was the right guy. And then to see it pay off this year, I forget what game it was. It was might've been their last regular season game. Well, I don't know if you guys saw the moment where he's doing his TV interview and almost every player's like coming in, like, love you coach. Love you. And he's like, trading, love you, thank you. And they're all like coming up to him. There's like a special bond there. And I think it is a cultural change that you haven't seen in Indiana in a long, long time where the team actually believes they can win, which is very impactful. Um, And I do like that's the one thing that I wish they would have gotten a full season because they kept on having these first. I would have liked to seen could they have gotten to 10 wins? Could they have gotten to, you know, a certain level? Maybe could have they gotten back in the Big Ten championship game if there was an entire slate played? Um, and I think, you know, the quarterback, I totally agree with you, Tom, because I think 
uh, Penix had a, a propensity to just chuck it. And we, we kind of joked about that last year saying, hey, why aren't we giving them credit? He was a little bit sloppy, which provides a lot of big plays, but it also pre- provides some disasters too. So they'll have depth and Tuttle brings some stability in case you need that. So that's important for him to get reps. But like Freifogel's coming back, who was a pretty good receiver, a pretty good two option across from Wap Fillier. Um, Stevie Scott, their running back was good. He's gone, but I, I think Tom Allen – has got something now he's having to do something you have to do when you build up a good program, replace your coordinators, which he did on offense last year. Sheridan comes in. You didn't see a drop off. Now you got Kane Womack bouncing. You got to do the same thing. And he's been able to overcome it. And now I think, you know, you're at a program where you have to prove it every single year that it wasn't a fluke, but I feel like Indiana's ready to prove it to everybody that they weren't a fluke. I, I totally agree with Danny, by the way, that like the, the kind of love, trust, believe in one another, mentality that Tom Allen has instilled there, I think probably helped him overcome some of the monotony of like the COVID restrictions. Right. And, and like getting everybody to play for each other and for their coach was a big deal. I like what they have coming back at receiver. I think getting Fry Frogel back is, is a pretty big deal. I think there's, you know, a pretty good shot. Their offensive line could be better this year, but I also have some concerns about this team. Like, I think some of what they did last year was a little bit smoke and mirrors. They were very lucky as far as if you look at what their actual win total was as opposed to how they played. And not to be kind of the the cold water guy here, but the size of their big plays was not sustainable. And what I'm talking about is, so they were 28th in passing explosiveness and 19th in rushing explosiveness. But only 106th in explosive play rate. And when I look at that, what I see is they actually didn't hit explosive plays all that often. When they did hit them, it just happened to go for 80 yards Mm. or 70 yards. And guys, that's not sustainable. That's not something you can control at all. It's just not. Like We we, we know that that kind of gap is not sustainable. And explosive play rate is much more predictive. So they really, they didn't hit explosive plays all that often. And when you combine that with the fact that, I mean, look, Michael Penix was only a 56% passer last year. That's bad. That like in, in today's college football, that that's not any good. They, they lose, you know, like, like, like Danny said, they lose their running back. I'm, I have some concerns about if this offense is that good, but the defense, and they also have to replace Kane Womack, their offensive coordinator, who's now at South Alabama. Um, but the defense does return a whole lot. Tom Allen, I think is a good coach. I think this team, I don't have that many questions for them to again make a bowl game. It's you know. it's possible. I'm I'm a little too optimistic because I was so pessimistic about them early in the season last year when I kept bringing up all the points they were getting off of turnovers, and then they kept doing it and they kept doing it. So at some point it was just like, okay, it seems kind of fluky, but they also just seem to be doing it naturally and they just keep doing it. So you you bring up some good points that maybe we should consider going into 2021. The classic course correction from making wrong bets. <laughs> There's no way they could keep this up. 80% of their points come off turnovers. And then it kept happening. <laughs> it was like every home run cleared the fence by exactly like one foot. Yeah. Again. Okay. Unbelievable. Um, also, Danny, thank you for calling me out on uh, shoving Indiana to the other half of the ad break. And then immediately disrespecting Maryland and Rutgers by leaving before we even get to them. Oh my gosh. The Maryland Terrapins went two and three last season. And what we've got with the Terps is 
the consistent like building of Mike Loxley. Now, Mike Loxley, one of the things that came with his arrival was the idea that he was going to be able to recruit, particularly in, in the uh, Mid-Atlantic DMV area. And as he's tried to, to give Maryland a good presence there and lean into some of those own personal connections he's had, he's Maryland's been able to to get a couple of really good players uh, on campus. Now, the biggest exciting, buzzy thing that I've got uh, on my notepad coming off of 2020, 2020 was, you know, Talia Tugavailoa, right? You know, he's he is proven with his immediate arrival and some of his immediate production to be, um, you know, not just some sort of like uh, Alabama to his little brother. Like I think that Talia can be a, a real difference maker for Maryland. Now, uh, there's also a lot of concerns here, and this team had so many COVID issues. I mean, it's crazy. I don't know how Maryland always has injuries and always, like even when we didn't have injuries, we had COVID issues. I mean, this is the program that took a linebacker and made him as the fifth-string quarterback a few years ago. I don't know... Uh, you know, what the, what Under Armour did to make the, you know, injury gods mad, but the Terps have really struggled with that over time. But I, I just generally see for Maryland, uh, the idea that we are, we're not floundering, but we are also not surging. And so this spring, what I would like to do is I'd like to really soak in uh, and try to pick up, you know, what is going to be uh, defensively, who are going to be some of our playmakers, what are going to be our identity, and then uh, offensively, what does the skill position talent look like around Talia as this Maryland team? Like, I just, I, I think it's not a high floor, but it is a uh, moderately size. It's like a, it's like a 72 inch floor. You know, six feet right there, middle of the road. Uh, but I, again, I, I'm not putting a very high ceiling on it. So a, a lot of obviously hoping for better injury luck for the Terps and uh, and also trying to figure out what the skill position talent is going to look like around Talia this uh, spring and fall. Maryland is like Groundhog Day. It's just like every year I feel like I'm in the exact same spot with Maryland where, hey, this is a really talented team. If things gel and somebody, you know, they figure things out, this is a team with a really high ceiling. But then like you were talking about, Chip, something happens every season that completely derails the train. And then you go into the new season saying, well, that can't happen again. And this is still a really talented team. Anything can happen. And you look at their team in 2021 and you go through Connolly's returning production rankings and you see that of the teams in the division, they rank the highest. They're 10th overall, 14th on offense, 17th on defense in returning production. So you look at all that and it's like, hey, this team has a lot of talent. It could be pretty good. Something is definitely going to go wrong. And you mentioned Talia. I think Talia had some very good moments, but I think he really needs to work on turnovers because he had, he had a seven touchdown, seven interception touchdown ratio last year, one-to-one, not typically what you want. And I just think that he really needs to take better care of the football because it really did hurt that offense at times. He was, he was too loose. He was putting the defense in bad positions. He was killing drives that, you know, had momentum and it was costing them games. So I think we, obviously you need to see improvement there, but I do think that around the board, you know, they had a couple of their bigger players on defense last year. The more impact players like Messiah and a kite was these, these are young kids who are, now a year older who are getting better and they had impacts last year. Ruben Hippolyte. Is that, is it Hippolyte or Hippolyte? I thought it was Hippolyte. I think Hippolyte. it's Hippolyte. 
Yeah. Okay. He as a freshman last year, he had he showed flashes of being a kid that could be something special. So there's plenty of reason to think, hey, man, maybe Maryland's going to a bowl game this year. Maybe things go well. They're winning seven, eight games. And there's also plenty of reason to think, hey, man, they're probably going to go two and ten. I I know this is crazy because I, I I I've really been a longtime Mike Loxley doubter. Uh but if you take out the first game when against Northwestern and which it was really that game and the Navy game against BYU were the two games I think on the year maybe that middle Tennessee game to open the year two where I was like okay it's very clear that this team did not practice at all they have like Navy admitted to not using contact in their practice and just the results were so incongruous with the rest of the year if you look at the rest of the year like once Maryland actually got hit a little bit I mean they played extremely well against Minnesota and won the game. It was probably closer than it should have been. That was a fun they, game. They outplayed Penn State. Now, look, that's the game I think Penn State probably quit in, but Maryland still showed up and beat a, a Penn State team that has more talent. Um, they played Indiana pretty tough, actually, and it was maybe a little bit bigger margin than it should have been. And then they they actually outplayed Rutgers, I think, and, and lost the game. I like this team's receiving core a whole lot. Um, I think – do you remember Chigio Conquo? The, the tight end they had in 2019, mm-hmm. he's actually back. He he missed 2020 with an injury, so it makes me like this offense you know, even more. Uh, but I have a couple questions. Number one, defensive front, offensive front. I think this offensive line has a whole lot of questions they got to get figured out this fall or this spring, rather. They were not able to push the ball down the field last year despite all those receivers. Um, Talia, Te- Talia actually against uh, zone defenses was really, really bad, and he tore up man-to-man defenses. It's a pretty big split. We usually don't see this. Tom, you seeing this on your screen? No. 98 QB rating against man coverage, 50 against zone coverage. Like, you don't see splits that big. So that's a little something to work on this spring, I would say. So uh, di- di- like, diagnosing a defense is something. We, maybe that helps explain the seven interceptions. Yeah, I, I would I would say so. Um, <laughs> so uh, those, those are things that you got to watch for. Their pass defense last year w- was outstanding. Really, nobody threw the ball effectively on them. Maybe it helps they didn't have to play Ohio State. But, like, they really – their pass defense was good. To me, it's just can they block and can their run defense just go from, like, bad to below average or okay? If so, I think this team can make a bowl game. The Rutgers, Scarlet Knights, Greg Schiano back. I mean, can we even call it year one? I guess, you know, he, I give him uh, not necessarily the same. He doesn't fall in the same bucket as Mel Tucker for me, both with his hire and also from his built-in institutional experience, but still the Scarlet Knights as a team, uh, you know, they were a, a little bit of a, an AAU team. You know, this is a group that they tried to cobble together as best they can. And, and you start to look at the way that Shiano is handling business. He's trying to build a foundation with proven players such that then he can go to the recruiting trail and really establish some program development. It just doesn't seem to be uh, the real goal for the Scarlet Knights right now. Now there, there was success. I mean, with three wins, this is a Rutgers team that had uh, more conference wins than everyone in the division, except for Ohio state, Indiana, and Penn state. You had more than Michigan, more than Michigan state, more than Maryland. So there is definitely some stuff to build on going forward. And then as we start to, uh, you know, break down what our, our big questions are going to be, I think that you want to make sure like we've got Noah Vidral, former Nebraska player, uh, Archer Sitkowski, who's been at 
uh, Rutgers for a long time. You want to see that group take a step forward, 11 starters back on the offensive side of the ball. And again, I, I kind of think that defensively they took a step forward with Chiano getting there. That shouldn't be a huge surprise. And they got, you know, eight starters back on that side of the ball. So while with Rutgers, is it a Maryland-esque discussion where you look at uh, last year and say, hey, look, you know, like these things all seem to improve with the addition of Greg Schiano. You know, can't is it fair to expect another step forward? Because as we know, especially in this division, uh, it is not always going to be linear. You're not always going to be able to go straight. You might have a team that is better, but has the same winning percentage. Uh, what are the things that y'all are looking for to try and pick up about this Rutgers team this year? I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see a step back in in 2021 because you know there was it in a way it's could be one of those situations where i think the future improves and the foundation gets a little more solid but the results probably take a step back because i do think that part of last year and part of the victories we saw this team pick up last year are due to the situation that the the entire division was in and i think that you know shiano brought in a ton of transfers trying to plaster over some cracks or holes in the wall just to to help make things look better as he tried to fix and, you know, to build some excitement around the program, which desperately needed some excitement. And I think that that was successful. I think that was about as successful as you could realistically hope for. Can you do that two years in a row? I'm skeptical. And I think that offensively, whether it's Noah Vidral or Art Sitkowski, there's just, there was such a lack of explosiveness in that offense last year, where I think as a team, they averaged 5.6 yards per attempt in the passing game. It was just quick little short little passes, whether that was what they, how they believe in their quarterbacks or whether they believe in their offensive line, being able to block long enough or how they feel about their players that they had at the receiver position. I don't know. That's for the coaches to decide. It's just, I don't see a team playing that kind of conservatively and stagnantly on offense, having to put together long drives to score points or rely on turnovers to score points, being able to maintain that again going into 2021. So I think we're probably going to see a step back. But again, I still think Rutgers is in better shape now going into 2021 than it was going into 2020 and definitely as where it was going into 2019. So it's heading the right direction. It's just, I don't think this is a quick fix. I, I think that, this team could be a better quality team, but win fewer Big Ten games. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Tom was saying, right? Like they won three Big Ten games last year. I give them, I mean, I don't know, maybe we'll put a better. I'll, I'll give anybody five to one that Rutgers does not win three Big Ten games this year. Five to one? I'll give you five to one. I, I'm not taking it. Ugh, I'm not taking it. <laughs> Damn. All right. Uh, <laughs> So, Noah Vidral, uh, he had a 14 quarterback rating against man to man, against man to man coverage. So that that's also something to work on. We were talking about Talia needing to be better against zone, but he had a 50 against zone. Uh, man, 14, 14 QBRs. It's very difficult uh, to to do. Um, yeah, like look, they were they were sort of smoke and mirrors at times last year. I think the fact that they got in all these games was a major advantage. It was a great growing moment for the program. But like they were still outside, like they were a bottom 100 team in college football. Can they get to like 90 or maybe 85th this year? That'd be a nice jump for them. But their schedules within conference is not not that easy, and I I, I don't think they're going to win three conference games again. This is this is tough, man. They this is a seriously long term rebuild. Shiano's in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
I mean, he's hey, I, this is this is not a spring spring practice question, but do you think Greg Schiano finishes his coaching career at Rutgers? Yes. How, how old is he? Early sixties. I don't think he's not. I think he's actually hold on. I don't think he's as old as you think for he's as long as he's like been 50. around. Yeah, he's fifty four. Fifty four. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can um, see this being a destination for him. I mean, I I think that. I can't speak for him, but I think that, you know, based on what he was able to do at Rutgers the first time, he left. It didn't work out. And now he's back. Maybe if they have that kind of success again this time and those kind of like those opportunities come, he might say, nope, done that, been there. I'm going to stay here. I would say the only job I'd really be worried about at all is Rutgers. Well, that, okay, only two Penn State and then Miami. Yeah. Because he is such a good recruiter in South Florida. Never mind. I don't even want to open that up. <laughs> what? What do you? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, can Penn State hire him? I don't know. Well, ten, I mean, Tennessee elected not to hire him based on rumors. Based, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if if Tennessee, but then again, never mind. I don't. No need to relitigate uh, all of that here. Uh, let's let's get out of here. You can follow him on Twitter at Elliott 3 You can follow him at Tom Pinnell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Oh, you can follow him. Off in space somewhere at Danny Cannell. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.